Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And just a quick reminder, yesterday we published part two of our Bikes versus Skis debate over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. So if you want to go through the very fun exercise of trying to figure out which bike company is currently most like which ski company, just head over to our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast where you can find both the episode with part one and the episode with part two. And speaking of bikes and big ideas, last week I sat down at our Blister headquarters at Elevation Hotel here in Crested Butte, and I had a long conversation with 28-year-old Adam Miller, who is the founder of Borealis Fat Bikes and Y Cycles and Revel Bikes. And we've received a ton of emails from people saying just how interesting they thought Adam's backstory is, and they are definitely right about that. So again, you can head over to our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast and listen to episode number 25 to get this entire backstory on Adam's history and how he started Borealis and Y-Cycles and Revel Bikes. But here today on Gear 30, we are basically airing the second half of my long conversation with Adam, and today we are going to dive into the details of Revel's new wheels, and we're going to talk about this thing they're using called Fusion Fiber. So this is actually another really interesting story in its own right, and you're going to hear Adam explain why he believes this Fusion Fiber is simply a better carbon fiber, and we're going to talk about what other applications this fusion fiber has beyond wheels. So, yep, this is another good one, and let's go ahead and jump right into it with Adam Miller. Okay, Adam Miller, we are back. We just ran through your entire history up to this present moment. Sorry for the extended life story there. <laughs> um, it's a fascinating story. But now it's time to nerd out a little bit. And we want to talk about some of the stuff you've got going on in terms of bikes. We want to talk about these wheels. We want to talk a bit about materials. And so that is our work now. But let me actually start with this. In our the conversation we just had, you were talking a lot about materials, and I just thought that was interesting. I mean, that is not something you, materials are not something you formally studied, but you've been working with and thinking about a lot. And I, I'd be interested to hear more about, I don't know, your relationship to materials and how you've gone about that learning process. Yeah, totally. And it's good to be back and good to have had the, the, the beers to get re <laughs> revitalized here. Right. Um, so, materials i think come down to i mean i've i've totally geeked out on bikes my whole my whole life i've always kind of been into making stuff when i was a kid i was really into woodworking which is a very strange hobby to have as a kid i was i was into archery i made uh you know bows and arrows but out of like all this exotic wood and you know this exact replica of like a mongolian bow versus a you know certain Na native american tribes anyway i got really obsessed with with like 
using different woods to make stuff. And I, I grew up in Alaska, so we'd go hunting and whatnot. And, and again, very strange hobby. I, I was maybe not the most normal kid, but um, I just liked making things. It was always very satisfying to me. So when I got into manufacturing bicycles, going from, you know, the concept of coming up with, with, with one bicycle and making that to I'm going to design a product and make 10 of them and then make a hundred of them and then make a thousand of them. It was a big, I mean, it was like the coolest thing I could think of as far as what I like to do, but it was a big learning process. It's easy to make one thing. It's a whole different story to make that one thing exactly the same a thousand different times in a row. So I guess through my, you know, last 10 years of, of working and 15 years of working in the bike industry, but manufacturing bikes over the last eight to 10 years, I spent a lot of time in Asia at different factories. Um, and that's been the coolest thing ever for me to get to learn all this stuff. So sitting there in the factory and going through quality control steps and, and, you know, checking each step of the process to make sure things were going well, I just kind of naturally, it was naturally something I really liked to, to do and to see everything's made by hand, whether it's carbon fiber, titanium, it's all very simple hand work. And so I guess for the last 10 years, I've just kind of seen it in factories all over the world. And that was one part of this whole thing I've done that I've really gotten into and just researched a bunch. And um, I've been able to network and got some really good connections with a lot of people who the original founder of Envy, Jason, um, who's a carbon fiber genius, uh, Joe Stanish, who is one of the main officers at Envy, um, and is now I talked to on the phone at least once a once a day <laughs> uh, as we work on this on this new project. Um, I've just kind of geeked out about it, learned about it, watched YouTube videos, made stuff myself sitting in those Asian factories at night. They were nice enough to let me, you know, mess around and make my own, you know, piece of a rear triangle and think I could do it better and test it and then prove out some ideas that I had. So just kind of geeked out on it. So we're going to probably spend the most of our time talking about wheels. You launched Revel with bikes. And how did you go about thinking about or figuring about exactly what type of carbon to use for your frames? And, and we should say, I mean, in the Bikes and Big Ideas conversation we had, the thing that you were kind of pointing out, if you had to sort of do the quick, brief thing about what makes Revel bikes better or different, you were really talking about suspension. And there's suspension, there's aesthetics, there's materials, right? So I guess maybe just as the lead in to, you know, to talk about these wheels, what was the material conversation like when it came to like, well, we're going to manufacture carbon frames? Yeah. Um, that was the fun part for me. So we actually went through 13 different carbon layup prototypes of the first Revel rail before settling on, on the last one. And that's where I think the magic really happens. So we had dialed in the suspension kinematics. So I guess to back up a little bit in a modern suspension mountain bike, you have your suspension. I think that's the number one most important thing to look at. There's systems like DW link or switch infinity or horse link or single pivot. And then our system is called CBF. That's a whole different system. We're the only company using it besides Canfield bikes uh, just launched a downhill bike with that platform. Um, so I think our bikes really stand apart because of CBF. Then you have materials, which we'll talk about a whole lot more. Uh, then geometry is a huge thing. Where, where's your body position on the bike? How is the bike in a corner? There's two parts of geometry in my mind. One is how does the bike handle? And two, how does the rider fit on the bike? And balancing good handling and rider comfort are kind of two battles you have to fight as you dial on your geometry. And I think we've done a very good job at, at getting very 
very good geometries on, on, on our bikes. And then of course, aesthetics, which comes into 3D shapes. So industrial design and then paint and graphics, which is seemingly, well, it is the most simple part. And yet I think from a consumer standpoint, one of the most important parts. So I've had a great time over the last four and a half to five years with Revel trying to balance each of those and trying to find the kind of person in each aspect of those things that's the best in their in their field. I'm, I'm not an expert in any one of those fields, but I've been able to work with people who are experts in each of those categories. So as far as the materials on our bikes, um, that was the fun part. So we already got the suspension dialed, we got the looks dialed, we got everything dialed. Now, what do we put in there to make it ride how we want it to ride? Um, and I think there's kind of this thing in the bike industry where a lot of brands will just focus on like their, you know, pro race team and what are the, what is their pro downhill world cup rider want to see in a frame. Um, and, and so one thing I've learned and Jeremiah Starkey has been very good at this on our team. He's our COO and head engineer is rider feedback from a wide range of riders and deciding that you want this bike to be made for racing or for grandma cruising on a bike path and, you know, pick in between that what we want to make the bike for and then therefore getting feedback from riders uh quantifying that and then making changes to 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 best improve that so jeremiah has been fantastic at that um uh jason shears actually came over to asia with me uh a couple times to work on the carbon layup of, of our bikes he's the original founder of envy he started making all the first envy products in his home kitchen oven um just a, a carbon genius and so i was able to learn a lot through that so with, with carbon you have all your you know you have your zero degree fibers 30 60 90 degree and then um so you stack all those on top of each other to make a make a piece flexible in one way stiff in one way um and that's how you can control directional strength and stiffness then with within all those types of you know, there's different angles there's different you know t700 800 24 ton 30 ton 42 ton there's different uh, modulus carbon fibers and that's on a basic level the ratio of epoxy resin to carbon fibers so higher modulus usually means more epoxy which makes it a much stiffer stronger material but also more brittle as you get into lower modulus like a 24 ton or a t700 there's a little less epoxy in there but it's a little more flexible forgiving material so it's kind of been a miss misinformation in the bike world that oh high mod carbon is what you want if you make your frame only out of high modulus carbon it's going to be really light and maybe really stiff but when you go crack it and you push it a little bit too far it's going to explode or it's going to have a really big catastrophic failure whereas cheaper carbon which is maybe like a, a 24 ton or or t700 or a knockoff version of that um has just it, it's kind of a little softer material um that's seen as cheaper and not as good, but realistically, that's not quite the case. The real magic is a blend of the different types of carbon, so the different moduluses of carbon and the different angles of that carbon fiber stacked on top of each other to best balance your stiffness, your flexibility, because you do want your frames to be flexible in some directions, and, and then your weight. So I like to think we've found the best mix of, of all those things. Uh, one thing we do a little bit differently than a lot of bike brands is we use more 30 degree and 60 degree fibers. So a lot of brands will use 45 stacked on top of each other. It's pretty simple. We do more 30 degree fibers within a 60 wrapped on top. And what we found is using the exact same amount of material, just for example, say in a down tube, instead of doing 45s, 45s, we did a 30 degree fiber, which is a lot longer. So that spreads the load out from the bottom bracket to the head tube easier. And then you wrap it with a 60 degree fiber. So it actually takes less material there. We found, I mean, you could tell in a parking lot test ride that 
the same amount of material is stiffer using more 30 and 60 degree fibers. So that was something that Jason brought to the table that that was a, a nice addition. It's one of those things that's probably a really small improvement in the big scheme of things and not many people are gonna notice, but that was one thing we do. And then throughout the 13 prototypes we rode, we messed with different ver different blends of like, well, let's use a little bit of T700 in the chainstay area, and then maybe some, you know, 30 ton material he here and there. So just kind of testing all those different moduluses and seeing how it rode was how we came up with what with what we did. And so correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was maybe never quite about trying to dial in one specific attribute. It was that blend. It was the overall blend of durability and compliance and stiffness, et cetera. Yep. I mean, is that is that Yeah, ab absolutely. And and that was done through we had a few great test riders. I was one of them, but I don't always I don't trust myself to be the only <laughs> test rider by any means. Um, we got a, a lot of people who are way better at riding bikes than me and then people who are less experienced. And we worked on uh, getting feedback from them in, in such a way that would help us kind of say, okay, well, a lot of people thought maybe it was too flexible here or too stiff here. And then we'd make a change and do that again. And all the testing, and, and we still do this, all testing is blind testing. So it's never, here's the stiff prototype and the flexi prototype. It's here's the green one and the blue one. Riders never know. So we're able to get very subjective, um, uh, uh, non-biased feedback. All right. So you might know this. We do a lot of reviews around here. <laughs> How would you grade yourself? Be honest. How good of a reviewer do you think you are? There's a lot of badass mountain bikers and runners and skiers who are horrendous reviewers. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's just two different things, right? And you can be amazing on a bike. And sometimes I almost wonder if that's a detriment because you can, you can go, these, a lot of these people can just go make anything work and they're going to still ride it better than the rest of us, right? So this sensitivity thing, what's it been like in your experience? And more to the point, how good are you at this? That is a very good question. I'll have to do some self-reflection there. Um, first of all, I could not agree more. A lot of times the fastest riders are the absolute worst test yeah. riders. They could get on a Huffy and do stuff cooler than you or I yes. ever could do. Yeah. And so I usually discount a lot of the feedback from the really good riders. Um, and we have a lot of, we have a lot of really talented riders in our building. I, I I'm a diehard mountain biker. It's my life. And I'm like definitely at the bottom half of the skill level of, of riders in our building. I usually go behind most of the people when we go to snowmass and ride downhill. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do think I'm actually pretty, pretty good at test riding. Um, I would prefer if every time I test ride a bike, especially when I test ride competitors bikes, if I could cover it up and not see what it is. Cause when I see if it's a specializer, a tracker, a pivot or a Yeti or a Santa Cruz, I immediately have a bias. And so I think I've gotten quite good at trying to remove that bias. Although I'm back to a previous conversation. I was, I was never quite good enough to be that pro racer. I maybe wanted to be for a little bit in there. So instead got really obsessed with the product. And so I, I, I do think I'm pretty good at that. Although the only way to really get good ride feedback on a product or a prototype you make is to get 10 or 15 or 20 people to ride it and gather that feedback. Cause my opinion at the end of the day really doesn't matter. Even if I trust it all day long and, and, and I do, I'd say I'd give myself an eight out of 10 as far as prototype test rider. Um, that doesn't matter. I ride a certain way. I'm one kind of consumer, but we sell to consumers with a lot wider range than just me. I think we should talk about fusion fiber, right? Is that the obvious place we go? That's where we go. That's where we go. Um, what the fuck is fusion fiber? <laughs> fusion fiber is pretty cool. It's something that has 
taken up a lot of my last year. Um, so to start off with traditional, you know, when we say carbon fiber bike frames or carbon fiber bike wheels, all that is a, to, to be a little more specific, that's a thermoset carbon fiber. So carbon fiber is all the same. It's a bunch of little strands of carbon and it's mixed with epoxy. And that's how you get different types of carbon fiber is based on how much epoxy the, those fibers are mixed with and what type of epoxy. And that's carbon fiber as we know it in aerospace and in high-end vehicles and in, and in bicycles, thermoset carbon fiber. Fusion fiber is a new type of composite material that we have been lucky enough to be the first company to, to use and to sell. So Joe Stanish is a guy who I've known for quite some time through the, you know, when I knew some guys at Envy, uh, he reached out to me actually before we launched Revel. Uh, he, I, I, he's known about me starting Revel for the last five or six years and always kind of been a mentor through the, through the process. Uh, he, of course, bought a rail right off the bat and then said it was his favorite bike of all time. And, and for those of you who don't know Joe Stanish, he's, he was a pro um, World Cup downhill racer for Santa Cruz in the, in the late 90s. There's posters of him in many, many mountain bikers' homes. Um, <laughs> and now he is a composites bike genius. So he was one of the main um, officers at Envy. Uh, when Envy sold, he left, did a few different things, but he started working with a kind of offshoot of an aerospace manufacturing company in Southern Utah called ACT Composites. And he wanted to, he did a, a lot of stuff at Envy to make Envy what, what it is, what it was. And he wanted to take that to the next level. So he was riding a rail. He loved his Rebel Rail. And he said, Adam, I've been working on this new material called Fusion Fiber. He didn't have a name for it then. Um, Do you want to be the first company we partner with to develop a wheel and sell that wheel? And I said, hell freaking yes. That sounds perfect. And so for a few weeks, we were, he was telling me about fusion fiber. I mean, it's way stronger. There's no epoxy in there. Instead of epoxy, it's like a nylon polymer. I'll get into that in a second. And made in America, I mean, made in Southern Utah. We have to drive right past Moab to get there. Made by robots. So you get, I mean, as maybe bad as it is to say, automated manufacturing is better than handmade manufacturing in a lot of ways because it's consistent. Uh, you can control every step of the process and make a product the exact same every time. So it had all these amazing attributes, stronger, lighter, consistent. And then a few weeks into the conversation, he said, oh yeah, and it's actually recyclable. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like, you know, holy hell. We, our company from the beginning has had a commitment to sustainability. We have a whole section on our website about it. We compost everything in the building, no paper towels. We've recently got rid of all plastic in our packaging. We ship bikes in reusable travel cases. Rebel from the beginning has had this kind of environmental friendliness aspect to it. So when I heard this material was recyclable and the first legitimately recyclable composite in the bike world, I thought this is the future. This is what we want to, we want to go head first in with. All right. So let's hang on the recyclable part. What do we mean by recyclable, right? So I buy that wheel set, you know, I crack it in half or whatever, or I want to retire it, or I want to recycle it. What can I do? Yep. We have a whole system for it. And I think when people hear recyclable automatic reaction, my reaction is skepticism. You're like, oh, it's not really recyclable. Glass bottles are recyclable, but a lot of communities in our world yeah. throw them in the trash. Uh, this is legitimately recyclable. We actually have just made our first ever product out of the recycled rim. We made a tire lever. It's just a simple product to show that you can actually take this recycled material and turn it into something else. Go to our website. It'll be on there in a few weeks. And, and that's one thing that as a company, we don't like to do any marketing fluff. I think there's a lot of marketing fluff in, in the bike world, in, in every consumer product world. We try to be dead honest. We try to just tell the story of what we do and the products that we make. So uh, 
this is recyclable, both the manufacturing scrap. So as we, you know, cut material out and there's little bits and pieces when we drill spoke holes and you get the little, you know, shreds from your, from your spoke hole drilling. Uh, and then when we test products, so we break a ton of these rooms, we make a whole room and in five seconds, we drop a big weight on it and it explodes and it's useless. Not a single bit of this material will ever see a landfill. We've saved every single bit of it in partnership with our manufacturer and we are working on making products out of that recycled material. So our manufacturer bought this big chipper. It's basically this big thing with a bunch of teeth on it. And let's say you crack your rim. We have a whole system in place. First of all, our rim is stronger than every other rim out there. So the chance of cracking it is a lot less than other rims on the market. That being said, if you run low pressure and you smash through a rock garden, there's a chance you're still going to break your rim. So if you break it, we send you a shipping label for free. We get that wheel back. We rebuild that wheel. We send it to you. In the meantime, if it's going to take longer than a few days, we'll give you a loaner wheel set. We pay for shipping on that. So you have a loaner wheel set to ride. We take that rim that's broken. We unbuild it. We pull the decals off. We just do vinyl decals. There's no paint. There's no clear coat. None of that's needed, but that also is what makes the material recyclable. A lot of times if you have a recyclable material, but you cover it in chemical paint, it doesn't even matter if it's recyclable. So we don't need any of that. We strip the decals off and then we drop the wheel in this chipper and it chips it up into little, you know, half inch, one inch squares of fusion fiber that can then be heated up into, um, heated up to over 500 degrees in a kind of a big block of material. And then it can kind of be turned into anything. You can machine that material, you can sort of injection mold it, you can stamp it. And that's what we're working on now is making products out of that recycled material. Tire lever is number one, strongest tire lever out there. Totally unnecessary. It's kind of an experiment to show what we can make, but we're going to start working on products like uh, chain guides on our bikes or seat collars or stems to, to learn and figure out what we can do with this material. Okay. We like to interrogate big claims around here. As you should. Strongest carbon wheel. Let's, let's get specific. What is the claim here? I, I appreciate that. And, and from the beginning, we've made a point to try to not really be too braggadocious about how strong the, these wheels are. I, I'd rather have that proven in the market and proven in, in third-party reviews because we can say stuff all day long and no one's going to believe us or they'll not, they might believe us a little bit, but clearly we have some sort of a bias. Before we launched this wheel, just like our bikes, we did an absolute shit ton of testing, probably more than we needed to. But my goal was not to release a product until we were so freaking confident that it was the best thing out there. So we spent, in partnership with our manufacturer, a whole load of money basically buying and then breaking every other competitor rim on the market, aluminum and carbon. Um, we won't say any names um, because we like all the other uh, companies. I've ridden other carbon rims from a lot of companies for, for years. Um, and they've all, I think, all done their part in improving the product. More, more products means more competition means we all have to make better products and that's fantastic. We just wanted to take it to the next level. But with this kind of the problem we wanted to solve was that you break wheels. We've all sort of accepted in the mountain bike world that you can spend $2,500 on a set of wheels. There's a pretty good chance you're going to break it. When I break wheels and I've broken four or five sets of $3,000 carbon wheels in the last two summers, I'm pretty lucky because I own a bike company. <laughs> I grab another set of wheels out the wall and I, and I go on my way. Most people don't have that luxury and it's a total pain in the ass when you, when you break a set of wheels. So we wanted to make the strongest wheels out there and this fusion fiber material has helped us do it. So we broke wheels in, in the test lab from every major manufacturer, some smaller manufacturers and some aluminum wheels. And we can very confidently say that our rim, when compared to other highly durable enduro all mountain wheels in the market is significantly, significantly stronger for impact strength and spoke hole strength. 
regardless of the material. Yes. Okay. We're we're quite confident in in, in those claims. Okay. And and we're so confident that we'll we offer a lifetime warranty on these wheels, which a lot of brands do. And but what a lot of brands don't do is that if you do break your rim, we'll send you a loaner set at no charge. We'll send you the shipping label to ship your wheel back. We'll replace your rim. We'll ship it to you, and we'll get those loaner wheels back. So it's not just a lifetime warranty because it's great that a company is going to replace your rim, but if it takes a month for you to send your wheel back and have it replaced, you're stuck without a bike. We try to think of every step of that process to make sure that if something does happen, if you do break a rim, because some people will, you're not going to be out of riding your bike for too long. Talk a little bit about current options, price points, whatever. Um, what do you got at the moment? Like what we launched just two months ago with with uh, two well, really one model, two sizes. So the RW30, um, it's a 29 millimeter internal rim. We have a 27.5 version, 29 inch version, um, and they're 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 light. The 27.5 version is 440 grams, which is about 100 grams to 120 grams lighter than a lot of comparable high-end carbon rims in the same in the same realm so um lighter and significantly more durable uh, we offer them as rim only 28 or 32 hole we offer them with industry nine hubs either the one one or the hydra hub uh, and they're all built with supreme d-light spokes uh, they retail between 1975 and 2200 dollars. so they're at, they're at the higher end price point of wheels although cheaper than several other high-end wheels on the market were you ever tempted to go with alloy as a material? Why or why not? Absolutely. Um, I actually like some alloy wheels. There's a lot of potential. Um, as far as a bang for the buck, he can. there's some really good alloy wheels out there. We, we spec Industry 9 alloy wheels on our, on our bikes, and they're fantastic. Uh, you get a lot, a lot of benefits when you go to a composite material. And you get a lot more when you go to a really good composite material, which I like to think is what fusion fiber is. Um, so alloy wheels, you can dent, you can break. A lot of people say, oh, get an alloy wheel because when you hit it on a rock, you just dent it and you can still ride it. And that's true sometimes, but alloy wheels still explode really just as much as carbon wheels, if not more based on which wheel. So the answer is we, y yes and no. Alloy wheels are amazing. I didn't think we could do anything better with alloy wheels. It's kind of been tapped out. There's only so much you can do with a metal, but there's a lot you can do with composites. And the traditional thermoset carbon wheel market, I think it's kind of been tapped out. There's some really good ones out there. When, when Joe approached me about fusion fiber and I started looking at test results and then it was the first ride, the first few hundred yards of riding the wheel, that's when I knew we had something special. So I can kind of dive into why that is with the ride quality. It's, it's what separates the material out a little bit. So traditional thermoset carbon is carbon fiber and epoxy. Fusion fiber is carbon fiber and nylon. It's basically a fancy version. It's an advanced polymer, but it's basically a type of plastic. Um, and that's the curing agent. So um, if you think of it, epoxy is very brittle. If you put JB Weld on your workbench, you come back the next day, you can ship it up. It's very brittle. So if you're riding your traditional thermoset carbon rim, when you hit a rock and you smash through the tire and you smack that rock, it kind of pings or dings or cracks. And usually when they crack, it can be fairly catastrophic because that epoxy is brittle and cracks right away. The nylon polymer that's the curing agent in our rim is a little bit flexible. If you think of nylon, it kind of bends. So the rims are basically flexible on kind of just a fiber level. So it gives it a really nice damped feel. So when you smack into that rock, you don't hear this big ping. It's kind of quiet. 
And a lot of feedback we get is that our bikes are very quiet. All the cables are internal routed against the inside of the tubes and it's a very quiet riding bike. So when you couple that with a quiet riding wheel, it, it gives you a really neat feeling ride. At the same time, it's a really laterally stiff wheel. So it's fast as hell. You've talked a good amount about the materials. What about the process of manufacturing this material? Is there an interesting story there? Yeah, that's actually a, a, a huge part of it, probably arguably almost more than just the material itself. So fusion fiber is a material and a process, and that's what sets it apart from any other you know, thermoplastic product that, that has been on the market. It's kind of the whole next level of, of how to manufacture stuff, not just bike parts. So the process is highly automated. Our factory now is producing a, a, a lot of rims with about 15 employees there. So it's uh, robots that make this stuff. Quick rundown of how a traditional thermoset carbon rim is made. Carbon is laid onto usually a, a EPS styrofoam mandrel um, by, you know, hand laid up by workers. Uh, it's put into a big steel mold, air bladders pumped up to get the internal and the mandrel pressurized so you can com compact the carbon. Uh, which forms the strength. And then it goes into an oven and cooks for about 45 minutes at 350 degrees, just like a batch of cookies. All that's very, you know, general, but, but give or take, it's about 45 minutes of cooking. Then it comes out of the mold, open up the big heavy steel mold by hand, pull the rim out. It's got to hang up and it's got to cool down. And that temperature that it cools has to be very controlled. If it's made in a factory in Vietnam where it's 95 degrees and hundred percent humidity, it's a very different um, cooling process and if it's made in northern China where it's 50 degrees and, and very dry temperatures. So there's a lot of variabilities there. As it cools, that's where a lot of um, uh, material properties can change. So that has to be controlled. Um, at the same time, all that hand labor, things like dust can be on your hands or if someone's hair can fall out or, or whatever, um, and imperfections can, can happen in that whole process. Then once the rim's cooled off, um, all this epoxy resin is kind of oozed out of it and that all has to be removed. So the first time I walked into a carbon factory in China where they were sanding rims, I was appalled. You spend $3,000 on these incredibly high-end beautiful rims and there's workers in there oftentimes with no masks on and they're holding the rim and they have a big old wood file in one hand and they're just freaking wrenching on them. I mean, just removing all this excess material and epoxy kind of scrap excess stuff that squeezed out of the mold. One, all that is hard to control. It's an unstable process. And two, workers are breathing in epoxy, which is not a good thing to put into your lungs. And then all that dust usually goes into a drain and gets dumped into the river, whether it's in America or China, there's not many controls for that sort of thing. And it's not good overall for the world. I've kind of a hard time trash talking that because our bike frames are made in a similar way. Every single carbon bike frame on the planet is no matter what the brands say some are certainly better than others but it's generally not the most fantastic thing for the earth sometimes it's not that bad but it's not great and then that rim is taken and it's clear coated or painted or something that's another chemical usually again not that bad for the world but it's another harmful chemical that's going to end up in the waterways somehow shifting to our fusion fiber rims everything's basically flash welded together so a few pieces are put into a mold there's a shot of electricity. It heats up to a really high temperature for about 20 seconds, and then it pops out and it's good to go. It goes straight to getting spoke holes drilled at that point, and then it gets vinyl decals put on. So you take a process that takes um, a whole lot of hours between cooking, cooling, sanding, 
finishing and it gets down into a matter of, of, of minutes with this process. There's no waste, anything that's, you know, the only thing that's, that's wasted is as you drill the spoke holes, little fibers come out, that all gets swept up and put into the recycle bin to get turned into something else. So let's talk about what else we might be able to do with fusion fiber. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking it's probably not the case that fusion fiber could only be ever used in wheels and making tire levers. I would agree with that statement. <laughs> I guess I'm wondering why we couldn't eventually be seeing frames, yeah, full frames made. And and our goal, I mean, we believe in this material, the environmental friendliness, the recyclability of this has me super excited. The strength, the ride quality, everything is amazing. The first product we wanted to make is a wheel. It's actually kind of hard to make a, a wheel if you compare it to any consumer product. It demands a pretty high price point for one. Mountain bike tires are really thin. If you compare it to you know a car tire or ATV or motorcycle tire, those are a lot thicker. You run them at higher pressures and you don't usually smash your rim on a motorcycle or ATV or car as nearly as often as a mountain bike. So to make a product that's really, really light, and yet really stiff, comfortable spokes are gonna pull through. A mountain bike rim is actually a really hard product to make and that's why they're so expensive. So we wanted to use fusion fiber to make a rim first. We figure if we can do that, other stuff's gonna be easier. Frames are absolutely on the list, but I don't think anybody should hold their breath. It's gonna be, the, the expense to do this is, is massive from an automated manufacturing standpoint, just the molds and whatnot are going to be very expensive. I'd be lying if I said we aren't looking into it immediately, but I don't think it's going to happen for three, four, five, six, six years. In the meantime, we're going to make things like tire levers, which is just our example to show that yes, our product is in fact recyclable. And then, um, and they will actually be for sale. And then we're going to work on some small parts to make out of the recycled material um, or brand new fresh material based on what that might be. And then do you see outside of the bike industry, do you think that we'll see this material, this process going much broader? It, absolutely. And it, and it already is in certain industries in a, in a similar sense. So in terms of this kind of composite thermoplastic uh, carbon with, with advanced polymer in there, that's already being used. Our version that um, CSS composites developed called fusion fiber is specific to what we're making. Um, but we're already seeing it. You know, it's crazy walking around that factory in Gunnison, Utah. And I've walked around a lot of carbon factories. It's ridiculous how it's on a whole new level of extremely high level, automated, clean, beautiful manufacturing. I mean, there's parts of airplane wings for the Honda jet, for Boeing, for Airbus being made right next to these wheels. And so the equipment there is just, it's at a whole new level than, than a lot of these even fantastic factories that we work at in, in Asia. So Airbus is actually using a very similar material in there. They're calling it the wing of the future. It's going to be the new wing on, I think the Airbus A350 or, or something like that, but it's the wing of the future made out of this material. A big potential application is uh, wind turbines. So those are made out of like a thermoset carbon and fiberglass. And I didn't know this till recently. Apparently those turbines only have like a three-year lifespan. And then they get pulled off and then they get driven out to somewhere in the Nevada desert where they dig up a bunch of dirt and they stick them in the dirt and they're going to sit there for the next 50,000 years because that material does not degrade. This fusion fiber, which is going to be in, is being used in Airbus. Uh, Chevy trucks is actually using a similar version for some of their truck beds. We're seeing it in more and more applications. When that truck gets totaled, you can pull that thing out and you can melt it down and you can probably turn it into 
bike stems or, or suspension links or, you know, parts of bell helicopters or whatever it might be, um, it's not going to go to the landfill. It's not going to get buried in the, in the Nevada desert. So fusion fiber could kind of pretty quickly just maybe start being called fiber. I, I think so. And, and how we see it with our partnership with the manufacturers, fusion fiber is going to be kind of like Gore-Tex. It's like an ingredient brand. So a lot of clothing manufacturers buy Gore-Tex and then you use it in as part of their clothes. I think we're going to see a lot of bike manufacturers start to buy fusion fiber um, and use it in different parts of their bikes. I mean, to, to, to kind of sum it all up in, in my mind is it's a wholly superior material from both a strength, ride quality, and environmental standpoint. It's made in America. It's made a few hours away. It, there's so much potential for what we can do with this stuff. What's the best question I haven't asked you? You got me stumped. <laughs> well, you know, take your time. So, yeah, actually, I, I think the a big part of this, and this is a, a part that I kind of struggle with on a conceptual basis quite often is this environmental friendliness, this recyclable, clean manufacturing, um, you know, lower impact on, on the earth sort of concept. It's kind of my dirty hippie side um, <laughs> that I, you know. You really I, do come off like a dirty hippie. <laughs> a lot. Well, I, I kind of do. And I, you know, <laughs> own a business, I'm capitalist hippie, whatever you want to call it, it all sort of blends together every day. But my goal is, you know, I love mountain biking. I love exploring nature. I live in this, in these beautiful mountains. I grew up in Alaska. I love fishing, hunting, you know, getting outside. And so I've always felt a little bad being in the consumer product industry by simply manufacturing stuff, by making stuff in Asia, putting it on an airplane and flying it here. There's a lot of net negative environmental impact from all that, whether it's just gas on the airplane or the you know waste from the carbon fiber that's getting dumped into a river somewhere in Asia. I've always had a little bit of a moral dilemma with that. At the same time, I really like nice bikes and I like nice skis and I like nice gear, so I haven't changed much. But now that there's this opportunity to make those products in a more sustainable way, it makes me feel really good. And I think, you know, I don't want to come off as making this claim that we're making this environmentally friendly product and we're helping the world. We're not. No one who's buying a bicycle or a, or a pair of skis or a car is helping the world. It doesn't matter if you buy a Tesla that doesn't use any gas. You're, it's still you know resources that are being taken from the earth. But in my mind, most of us aren't going to change our, our purchasing habits. We all love riding bikes and we want to ride the next best, coolest thing. If we can think a little bit with how that purchase is going to affect the earth and choose a product that's less harmful to the earth, to me, that gets me really excited. If I can ride a pair of wheels that I know if I break them, they're never going to go in a landfill. They're going to get turned into something else. That makes me feel a little bit better. So it's not this perfect solution that's going to fix everything. I mean, I drove my F-150 here. We're not like solving the world's problems and we're not going to fix climate change. But I think if we can make small steps in, in the direction of helping, you know, save our planet a little bit and still have a whole lot of fun and ride cool bikes, then, then that's a pretty cool thing to do. And it is pretty exciting uh, to talk about new and better materials that, you know, and this is going to be iterative, right? I mean, it, you know, until it's not, I guess there's a huge monster leap that we don't know what that is. But I think in the materials game, right? And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if we can keep having really smart people figure out the better process, I mean, that's how everything ever in the world works, I think. Competition is kind of a beautiful thing in that sense. Yeah. And, and just smart people continuing to ask, like, 
how can this be better and that be better? And, and uh, so it will be very interesting to see. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I mean, we look back at bikes 10 years ago and 10 years ago, we thought they were the best things ever yeah. created. And now we say, oh God, how do we ride those things? Yeah. You know, we're going to say that hopefully in 10 years, we're going to look back now and say, oh, how did we ride that stuff? Or how did we think that was the best we could do with composite materials? And that's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm just getting started trying to make really cool bikes and really cool wheels. And hopefully in 10 years, we look back and say, look, you know, look where we're at now. Well, and I was just talking with one of our reviewers who has now put, I think, about 150 miles on one of those wheel sets. And his review will be coming up either right before or right after we post this conversation. And spoiler alert, having just talked to him for about an hour and a half yesterday, he's he's a pretty big fan of the wheel set so far. <laughs> so... But anyway, listen, I've really appreciated this. We're going to wrap up, but if uh, in case you've somehow missed it, we've got a companion conversation, I guess we'll call it, that you can find on our YouTube channel, and you can also find it on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast platform. You should listen to that one too, because that lays out the whole kind of backstory and trajectory, and we kind of get to go into the weeds here on Gear 30, but that was a really interesting part of this whole story. And so fun to dive in on the materials and the process, but pretty fun too, to get the, the, the backstory on all of this. So thanks very much. Appreciate it. Good having you here in uh, Blister HQ. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it a lot. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Adam for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please go take good care of yourself and everyone else, and we will see you back here next week on Gear 30. Take care, everybody.